0: And i had all the goddamn pancakes and it was just incredibly satisfying to just have the whole thing Mm -hmm. if you can't tell the trend my satisfaction comes from completing a task (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the body pod i'm elena and i'm justine
1: this is a podcast where we talk to real people with real stories about their very real relationship with their bodies we touch on diet culture body acceptance finding food
0: freedom and everything in between So, grab a cocktail or some snacks and join us here every other Tuesday for new stories, new topics, and a big dose of body love. Hey guys, welcome back to the Body Pod. This is our fourth episode um, after having a great interview with Kristen on our last one. So, again, thank you to her for coming on for that. And this episode, we're actually not doing an interview. We decided we're going to stagger those. And this one, we're going to talk about intuitive eating because that is something that we've dropped a lot in Elena's interview, my interview and Kristen's, but we've never really delved into what it is,
1: yeah. I thought it would be really good to just kind of talk about what it is because for me, i I mean, it was like a foreign concept to me. I was like intuitive eating. What is that? Like I just so I think we should just kind of talk about what it means to eat intuitively and kind of talk about what it means to both of us too.
0: Yeah. And also we have interpreted it definitely in different ways because it originated as a clinical book written by Evelyn Triboli and Elaine Reich, right? Elise Resch. Elise Rush. Whoops. Um, but <laughs> we'll drop them in the show notes.
1: Both have hard names to spell.
0: And they're very famous in this um, kind of body neutrality, health at every size world that we kind of float in. But We kind of want to walk through the 10 principles and what they mean in the book and then how we've kind of interpreted them and used them in our life.
1: I I want to give a little overview about what intuitive eating actually is, like the quick cliff notes of the book. So like you said, it started out as this clinical book. And to me, it feels like the answer to dieting. Like the biggest thing that they talk about to me, and this is my interpretation, but is quitting dieting and restricting and moving into a place where you can feel at peace with your body and at peace with food and just like let go of all the shit and the food rules and stuff like that um, from past diets and paying attention to how you feel
0: I feel like is a big part of it too For me, at least, it's difficult to navigate how you could possibly because some people, a lot of people take intuitive eating as and like turn it into their own diet, like thinking too much about how they feel and like obsessing about like their mindfulness when they eat. And I feel like there's levels where for some people that really works. And then there are levels where the goal is to not even be thinking about food at all, like just be eating popcorn, watching TV and who cares, you know?
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of why we're doing this, right, is to talk about the different ways that it can be interpreted. And in my mind, it all kind of gets you to the same end point, feeling mm-hmm. free and comfortable and happy in your body um, and with food. So let's just dive into the the principles. It's based around these 10 principles. And the first one is reject the diet mentality.
0: Okay. Um. So for me, that meant some... well. I think it's barely—it's really straightforward to just like if you're on fad diets like keto, which I'm fully shaming keto. Keto's bullshit. But like if you're on fad diets mm-hmm. like keto or anything with a title for me, like I wasn't on diets with a title like the South Beach diet or I'm trying to even think of like the F factor, which is like this new fiber method that people are doing.
1: Oh, that's new to me. That's how not in the diet world I am.
0: I am shocked that there's still methods and things. Like, did you hear that Rebel Wilson just sent out a press release about her weight loss this year? No. In the press release, they listed her goal weight and said that she feels energized about embarking on this journey. She hasn't lost any weight yet, but she sent out a press release saying she's going to. Oh, my God. And. They even detailed she's doing like the motivate method or like some method. Like if it's a method, if it's a plan, if it's a book, it's just, it's a diet. But for me, rejecting the diet mentality meant something like entirely different. It wasn't like those like courses or diets or plans. It was just me having to reject like the fitspo aspect of everything. It was basically having to give up. The idea or the notion that I could manipulate my food to get a pla- to a place where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Because scientifically, and I feel like this is where a lot of people like butt their heads against the wall of intuitive eating or like a bunch of the haters of intuitive eating yell is they're like, but we can manipulate our bodies through like pr- protein, carbs and fats and distribution, and water intake. So why wouldn't you, mm-hmm. you big dumb idiot. And it's more, it's <laughs> not, it's more just saying like, just because you can shape your body doesn't mean that we we should and it doesn't mean that it would make you happy and that's the diet mentality that I had to reject also I just had to reject diet foods like Mm. sugar free jello quest bars that was a big part of rejecting the diet mentality was getting fake foods out of my diet which to other people would be seen as a form of dieting but for me it was a part of rejecting that fitspo culture Mm -hmm. for me it was pretty simply
1: like making the decision to never track anything again because that was dieting to me it was always tracking and that was just i don't know so exhausting and the i when i really fully decided to jump in to intuitive eating i deleted all of my apps like for weight watchers and calorie counting and any other kind of counting um I just got rid of those apps and that's kind of still my, like, I will never go back to counting or knowing how many calories a thing is ever again.
0: And so for me, it was like a little bit different because I was still tracking my food while I thought that I, well, I, I believe that I rejected the diet mentality, but was still tracking because I had removed all the judgment from the numbers of food, I was just kind of doing it as like a comfort level and to be aware. Mm-hmm. But like if I ate four thousand plus calories in a day, I didn't judge myself mm-hmm. if that was what my like hunger was asking for. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of like the different roads that people can take, like either slow or all in. I don't know, but I guess that kind of goes into the second part, which is to reject the men- the diet mentality. You have to do step two, mm-hmm.
1: which is honor your hunger. This one was huge for me because when I was on all of my different diets, hunger was like the source of pride. I think we might've talked about this Mm -hmm. in previous episodes, but like I was always hangry. I was always just like hungry and not letting myself have food because the feeling of hunger to me meant I was doing something right. Like I would be skinny. So this was a big one for me and it was easy because I was always hungry and I was like, oh my God, I can eat again. Um, So I just ate when I was hungry. And now I, I went from this like always hangry mode to, I like feel a little hungry before mealtime. And then I'm like, oh, that means it's time to eat. And then I eat. And like, it's just the, the feeling of that intense hunger is just not part of my life anymore, which is
0: dope. Does hunger ever like freak you out now? Um, yeah, sometimes I don't really know what to do with it. See, for me, what's weird is it took me a long time to even like understand when I was hungry and not like judge being hungry, mm. you know, cause I'm an excessively hungry person in the morning. Like I eat the majority of my calories during the day between 9am and 12pm. Mm-hmm. And that I used to judge that super harshly. Cause I was like, you're not supposed to be this hungry this early. But now that I'm like more comfortable when, when I'm hungry, that's like kind of, a nice like safety net that intuitive eating has given me. But at work, like back when I worked in an office, I'd always have snacks because now just like the the idea of being hungry is just like something that I just don't want to be anymore. Like now that I can be fed, I just don't want to be hungry.
1: Exactly. That's the part that freaks me out too, is if I ever do get super, super hungry and I know that I'm, I either don't have a snack that I want on hand or like, Mm -hmm. it's just for some reason food is not immediately available then I'm like oh my god I'm back to dieting like so it's yeah it's just this weird feeling but that's so rare because now I actually like have snacks and will eat snacks and not be worried about them being like extra you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah honoring your hunger
1: yeah love that um principle three is to make peace with food so in their intuitive eating documentation it says to give yourself unconditional permission to eat and so this one can kind of be a scary one if you're really going through the book and like reading through the principles and implementing them like this for me this was the most liberating and the most scary at the same time so I decided to let go of my rules that I had around food like not cooking with butter or oil or having sugar in my coffee instead of chemical sugar. I I started to like say yes to all these foods that were previously off limits and in the book too they kind of tell you like hey if you've been restricting and underfeeding yourself for so long you might gain weight and that was you know, as an ex-dieter, you worry like, "Oh my God, I can't gain weight," um, and so that was a big worry for me. And I did gain weight because I mm-hmm. like really just went for it and started eating all the things that I didn't let myself have before. And sometimes it was past the point of me being comfortable. Part of it for me felt a little like scary. Like, am I going to eat until? I don't know. There's this uncertainty, like, will this last forever? I guess. Yeah. Will I want to just keep eating and eating and eating all of these things that I didn't allow myself? And the answer is no. Like, I don't think I'm in a lot of intuitive eating groups. And like, I've talked to a lot of people about this. I've never heard somebody say, I continue to want McDonald's or pizza or ice cream or whatever it is for every meal it just doesn't happen. Like you start, your body wants vegetables. I always think about like when you go on a vacation or something and then you come home and you're like, oh my God, I just need to eat a lot of salad. That was like me in the diet days, you know, vacation is like this free for all. And then you come home and you actually want vegetables.
0: And like what I wish people would also realize is that or at least what I learned from weight restoring, which I also kind of want to, I wish I could switch the paradigm from weight gain to people calling it weight restoring because that's kind of what I feel like it is. Um, But when I like weight restored those few pounds to get my period back, what I realized was in gaining that weight, that was part of what helped my body and my brain calm down about all food. Because before that, I was in like this weird frantic, like every like week or so, I'd be like voraciously hungry and I didn't know why I, that wasn't more regulated. And then I realized it's because like my body was just on that tipping point of like not being where it wanted to be. So those urges were coming up again. Mm-hmm. It was just weird, like listening to my brain kind of have those urges and then those gradually just shut off mm-hmm. as I like gained back a few more pounds. And then, well, going back to the actually making piece of food though, for me. I think that's where when I first started, I was in a bit of denial Mm -hmm. because the best example I have for making peace with food was I met my current boyfriend, Eric, about like four months I'd say into my recovery or like being recovered, quote unquote, like not purging or just intuitive eating and not binging. And I was, when I met him, I just wanted to give off that vibe of like, carefree fun girl, never knew what a diet was in her life, like never had problems with food, can eat pizza at 3am and like be cool. And so that was like the goal. And that's also how I felt like I was like confident through the roof because I thought I had beaten this eating disorder until we started hanging out all the time and I realized like how regulated my house and my pantry actually was because I was just buying food for me. Like I was living with a roommate who was never home. And so I had like bare, bare basics. My grocery bill was like teeny tiny a month. I wish I could go back then. Um, and he had, he brought Ben and Jerry's into my apartment because he was kind of like staying over a bunch. And then having that like made me really uncomfortable because I was like, I know I want it and I can have it, but like wow, that was an old binge food for me. Mm. And it was more just like gradual exposure to that food and those kind of foods was what helped me make peace with food. It wasn't like a um tipping point. I think what Kristen mentioned last episode, Donut Land, for me. It was very much like just a gradual, like everything coming back into my life and not intentionally, like I didn't make any big strides. It was kind of just like being in a relationship and him bringing in those foods and me realizing like, oh, there's like nothing special about having these around. Yeah. And now we have three cartons of ice cream in our fridge right now. We're savages. Yeah. No, you're normal people
1: and you're not going to eat it every night. Like, yeah. And maybe you do and that's okay. But like, that's the thing is once you start to have those foods in your house, you forget that they
0: are there sometimes. You know what I mean? It is. It is. It is so nice. Like I love, I went home to our mom's house and like I looked in her pantry and I was just like, there's so many options. And like that used to make me super uncomfortable. Now I just love, I love having options. (laughs) Yeah. I'm currently living at her
1: house right now and the pantry is insane. I'm like,
0: why does she have all that food? And how does it not go all all go bad? Well,
1: a lot of it's good for a long time. I'm just like, you could not go grocery shopping except for fresh items and be good to go here for like a year probably, maybe not that long. There are so many crackers. (laughs) I had one more thing I wanted to say about this one, kind of in line with you, like not feeling triggered or urged or the urges to have some of those foods anymore. I felt the same way. Like I, I used to have these super, super intense cravings and when i was restricting it was just this like ravenous awful thing and once i started to make peace and allow all foods i don't crave things i think i mentioned that in my interview but i'm still just so happy about it like how nice to say ah that food sounds good right now instead of i must have it or the world will end
0: you know i mean I don't want to come on here and be all like braggy and be like our lives are wonderful and rainbows and roses because we did intuitive eating and you can too. (laughs) For me there's definitely like still there's still like thoughts in the back of my head about good food slash bad food slash shoulds and shouldn'ts and and that's also something that you really have to work through too because we both care about being healthy and like you know, I cook a lot. So I'm currently like in this process of recipe developing and sharing it on the internet. And I like a lot of my recipes to have like feel good ingredients in them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wish people could just know that just because this recipe has quote unquote, what diet culture would call only clean ingredients, which I hate, doesn't mean that I don't like eat, you know, Oreo O's in my next recipe. For me, it's trying to articulate that like you can eat really healthy sometimes and you can also eat like really unhealthy other times, and that's totally okay on either end. Mm-hmm. you know, and it's still okay to have thoughts in the back of your head of like, oh, this could have been healthier um because it's kind of just like a work through for me,
1: yeah, and that one's hard for me too, because I feel like I'm having a bit of a rejection of healthy foods, quote unquote. when we say healthy foods we're talking about like oat flour, right. Quinoa. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and I like a lot of that stuff, but I'm still like, okay, did I pick brown rice because it makes me feel better? Or did I pick it just because I'm trying to be healthy? Like, so I, I still have thoughts like that and that I feel like kind of, I'm getting in my own way sometimes. Cause if I would just kind of Listen to my intuition more, Mm -hmm. um, saying you actually do want this, quote unquote, healthy thing.
0: That's a good segue into the fourth one, though. I feel like they all these are like a a ladder that you kind of have to build up.
1: Yeah, that's true. The fourth principle is challenge the food police. Yeah, what does this mean to you? This one I've always had a little trouble with.
0: Yeah, so as I was thinking about this when we were going to walk through the 10 intuitive eating steps, sometimes... I wish I could just tell people that for me, intuitive eating means eating what I want when I want it for whatever reason that I want it. That's a good definition. That's like, to me, that's my definition because I feel like these steps, while super helpful for somebody who's entrenched in diet culture, do get a little too in your head or like too like detailed of you must do this and this and this and this, even if you don't have these feelings. Mm-hmm. So for me, challenging the food police and when they say the food police um, are kind of like those thoughts in the back of your head that are like I don't eat dairy or chocolate makes me binge like just those good and bad foods or like for me I saw it as a this leads to that or I am not this kind of definition and after I made peace with food I didn't really have food police so this was kind of a step that I just made peace with with step number three yeah
1: I feel a little bit the same way
0: I get why it's helpful and I get why it's there because a lot of people like, could you imagine, like there are women who have been dieting for 35 years. This is like the only life they've ever known. So of course they have food police, you know? Yeah. So I get why it's an important step.
1: Yeah. This one feels tricky because it does feel wrapped up in the previous one of just making peace with food. So I did get rid of the thoughts in my head about certain foods being good or bad for the most part. But like I just said, like I still think about what is healthy and what is not and like it's just kind of hard to it's still hard to dismantle that even two and a half years later yeah just because we're so surrounded by that
0: and also like your intuition is a tricky bitch because we also live in a world where there's a lot of processed food everywhere and also I f- truly feel that once you're exposed to it more and more it doesn't have that magical power that people always say hmm I hated that we were fed the well processed food, like spikes your blood sugar and kills your hunger cues. So you eat more of it, which, you know, in a way might be true. But I also feel like when it's not restricted, it doesn't have that same power. Yeah.
1: That's totally a story that society is telling us.
0: But having all of that in our environment now is another place where things get tricky with your intuition. But I do believe that it's kind of like a gut feeling that once you make f- peace with food, just like becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Mm -hmm. but we still have to work through.
1: Yeah. So the fifth step is one of my favorites and it is discover the satisfaction factor. To me, this is all about um, actually eating foods you like. And in the book too, they talk about making your eating kind of like a pleasant experience, like actually sitting at a table and not having a lot of distractions and really focusing on The food and the meal, and that aspect of it, which that's totally fine and dandy. But for me, this was about like actually chewing my food and tasting it and like enjoying every bite, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. And you can do that even if you're having kale. And in my case, some people don't like kale, but it doesn't have to be chocolate cake all the time. It's just fine, like actually tasting whatever you're eating, be it quote unquote healthy or a piece of cake.
0: And see, for me, it's like kind of similar to that, but it also had to do with the types of food I was eating Hmm. because going back to like my diety days, I would not do oil and vinegar on a salad. I would just do vinegar on a salad. Gross. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) Um, And then like, as soon as I had a salad that had like either an oil-based dressing or like oil and vinegar on it. And I was like, oh my God, I am full and satisfied. Mm. It was just like stuff like that. Like, God, one of my workplace lunches when I was eating like crazy restrictive amounts a day was just tofu and veggies. And then I added rice to that. And I was like, this is so much more filling and satisfying. So it was partially that. And then it was also partially like mental satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot stand those little charts on Instagram, which are still going around. I swear to God. And whenever Instagram recommends it to me, I get so mad, but it's like, oh, are you craving chocolate? That means you're low on iron. So eat this instead.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: To me, it wasn't even like stomach satisfaction that I was thinking about. It was like mental satisfaction. Like I want a handful of Fruity Pebble's And that was like mentally satisfying because I got like the whole handful. Or at work, we'd get like these little cookies or not little, these big cookies. And you know how at the office, you always like break off a piece and you're like, oh, just a a piece of the coffee break (laughs) cake today. And like there is to me to date is nothing more satisfying than just like grabbing a whole cookie and having a whole cookie as a snack. To me, that's just mentally satisfying because for years I would be like, Like just, I had this judgment against myself for eating a whole cookie because I was like, oh, you're only supposed to like break off a piece and be satisfied with, because you're still getting it. You're getting just a taste, but there was just something so bold feeling about just like eating the whole goddamn cookie, which sounds crazy, but that's just how I felt about satisfaction factor. For sure.
1: Yeah. I have something similar. To me, it all comes down to still enjoying what you're eating. Cause like, mm-hmm. like you're talking about adding rice to something, actual rice that made me think about my work lunches. Like I used to take breakfast and lunch to work cause I went to work super early and for breakfast I made on diet days, I would make these little like egg muffin things, but it was with mostly egg whites and only veggies and no fat. And then when I stopped dieting, I made like I would make a whole quiche and put like bacon in it and no egg whites. And just like it was probably the same nutritional value, if not better, and actually kept me full uh, versus the ones that I was making before. So just like little swaps like that. And then I was like, wow, I'm not just eating breakfast because I'm hungry. I'm eating it because it tastes good. So yeah, that mental satisfaction and the like taste bud satisfaction and the hunger. Satisfaction, all of it rolled into one.
0: Yeah. And literally just like having what you want when you want it. Because today I made a lot of pancakes over the weekend and I had like a ton left over. And I was like, okay, I could either have like two pancakes today and then like a bowl of oatmeal like I normally do, or I could just have like all these goddamn pancakes. And I had all the goddamn pancakes and it was just incredibly satisfying to just have the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I if you can't tell the trend, my satisfaction comes from completing a task. <laughs> I love it though. Mm -hmm. Being satisfied in a bunch of different ways also kind of leads really well into the sixth step. It's almost like they wrote a book and designed it this way.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Principle six is feel your fullness.
0: I have a weird thing about this one. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So I would be so triggered to binge whenever I felt full.
1: Triggered to binge? Like once you felt full, you wanted to binge more?
0: Yes. So when I was in my dieting days, like meals were there, meals were eaten at mealtimes because I mentally wanted food. They weren't eaten to like solve my hunger because they weren't portioned or designed to like to get to that fullness point. So whenever I did reach that fullness point, it felt like I had messed up or I had overeaten in what my brain deemed overeating. So I never knew what it felt to feel like full and satisfied. Mm -hmm. And then when I was full, it would just trigger a binge. So it was either like these two extremes. So feeling your fullness to me took forever because first off, when I read this in the book, I was like, that's a little too diety." i I'd never want to have to like monitor when I feel full enough Mm -hmm. to stop eating. And I still don't really like and i don't like that whole eat slowly because it takes 20 minutes to feel full cuz i kind of just trust your brain in a way to know when to stop and i'm a firm believer in that because like my boyfriend eric's super intuitive and he just like eats like an animal in 5 minutes and then just stops mm-hmm. um and i think that's just because like he his brain and his body like know that that's like what you need so feeling fullness was something that like actually feeling full took me forever to feel okay with. And now I enjoy feeling full, obviously. And also I wish I could just like scream at people like that, even that like tipping point, like almost a little bit uncomfortable. That's what we're supposed to feel. That's like fullness feeling, Uh you know, it's not, I hate when people are like on the scale of zero to 10, when you get to a six stop, I'm like, I feel like a nine should be fine. Yeah. You know? Yep. I don't know. You go on this one.
1: Well, this one I still struggle with. Like you were saying, it takes a long time to, took you a long time to start feeling it. I still to this day, even two and a half years into my post diet journey, eat past fullness or like, I still kind of like bulldoze over it or like, it's just not in my brain. And I think part of it is because of that, um, the the diety feeling of okay, rate your fullness, stop in the middle of the meal, um, and, and none of that is bad. But I just have this resistance to it. I'm like, I want to just eat. Like I don't want to have to think about stopping in the middle of the meal. I don't want to have to rate my fullness when my food is gone. Like so, all of those little things that are probably helpful to some people, to me still feel like diety. Yeah. So right now where I'm at is that I'm trying to figure out what works for me. Like, do I do some of those things, stop halfway or whatever, or do I just let my brain decide like you're talking about? And I never feel really uncomfortably full, but I just know that sometimes I'm eating and I'm not having that satisfaction. Like I'm not having that enjoy every bite moment. I'm just like distracted or I'm watching TV or something. So like, yeah, this is one that I still struggle with. And I think that that's okay to say, because this is a journey and you're always going to be kind of up and down and yeah.
0: But part of that, like not having to monitor your fullness or really be like actively conscious of it for me, That is part of the satisfaction factor is like feeling that freedom to just like sit down and eat whatever I want without having to like overly think about it.
1: Yes, totally.
0: Yeah, that's just super satisfying to me. And then also, I am just like defending yourself, you from what you just (laughs) said then. Like, I don't think when you say past fullness, whenever I think past fullness, I think like keeled over about to feel nauseous, sick, but I feel like that comfortable, like belly full thing, I feel like that's totally fine. And what we're supposed to kind of feel. Cause that's where you're like, that's when you're, you consciously are like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. I'm full. Yeah. You know? And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember when we were like kids or teenagers, it would be like either Christmas or Thanksgiving you were known for pushing away your plate and then like saying into it, I'm full. <laughs> I forgot about that actually. <laughs> that was your thing though, mom and I would like make fun of you. <laughs> oh my God. No, I remember.
1: I think I just like blocked that out. Um, yeah, that's so weird.
0: That's totally diety. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we were super young too and that is totally diety, but it was just funny that you were like instructing something else that you were full, even though like you weren't Another funny thing was like in college, and this is so, so messed up, but um, since I had dieted for so long, and if you're in a, like for a few days, like even a few days of your dieting cycle or whatever it is, if you're in like a heavy calorie restriction range, your body makes it so that you can consume like massive, massive amounts of food and not feel full. And that's why I was able to binge like up to like 6,000 calories so easily is because like my fullness cues were just depleted because of the restriction. So in college, I truly thought in my brain that I couldn't get full. And I told my friends that I was like, oh yeah, I just don't get full. And that was a running joke. And they were like, LOL, we're going to take you to like an all you can eat sushi place. Ha 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 ha. Because I could like house food and it was like a funny like joke thing cuz we didn't talk about diets at all and so nobody knew my like shit. Mm. So for me for a long time I just didn't think I could get full. So now getting full is like a very exciting thing. Yeah. Um what's our next
1: principle? <laughs> our next principle is to cope with your emotions with kindness. And for me emotional eating has not really been part of my story, so This one is about emotional eating, obviously, like using food to cope with hard times and things like that, Um, even boredom. I I just haven't really had a lot of like these feelings that trigger eating. Um, So for me, I actually skipped this chapter when I read the book. I think it's definitely relevant and helpful, but it was like not applicable for me. So I'm happy to hear what you have to say about it.
0: Yeah, I had a major swing with this one because when I was first restricting, then the desire for food was so strong within me, but also like that internal battle between, no, you can't have it, but oh, I so want it, was kind of all I ever thought about. So when coping with emotions or stress or anxiety, when I was dieting, I went directly to food. Mm. And that's what made me think. I'm a food addict or like, I can't be bored because I eat when I'm bored. And I would take up so many hobbies because I am a person who can't handle boredom really well because I was like, oh, I eat when I'm bored. So I'm going to have to take up like cross-stitching so that I don't (laughs) mindlessly eat at night when really now that I have actually allowed my body to eat what it needs, I don't turn to food as a coping mechanism for anything anymore, which was a huge switch. And also like even boredom I don't solve with eating anymore. Like sometimes it'll be like a lazy Saturday and I'll like snack all afternoon. But that's more like a just like letting myself again, I eat what I want when I want for whatever reason I want it. And Mm -hmm. it's like it's a lazy Saturday and part of the satisfying part of being home is that you can Eat a lot of pop chips and watch a lot of real housewives. Um, but the emotional factor was interesting because at first I was like, this is the key. I need to know why my insecurities I need to solve with ice cream. And then I realized that the only reason I was always turning to food is because it was the one, the easiest thing for my body to go to to soothe me because it was the thing I wanted the most, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally does. Yeah. So, like, when I was restricting all week and then had a really shitty day at work I would go home and I would binge and I was like oh I'm doing this cuz I'm stressed out at work and not really it's because I needed a break mm. and at that time a break for me was just forgetting about my diet and forgetting about my food restriction so now that that's not there it's kind of like weird because it's weird to sit with your emotions and also my I lose my appetite when I'm sad now which mm. is wild and then even like, just like anger, or boredom or fear, I kind of, it's not my go-to coping mechanism anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and also recipe developing is kind of like a, the new hobby that I've taken on, which I always try to wonder if I would still be into it if I didn't have a history of dieting, but we can get more into that in another podcast. Yeah, you know? Interesting. But I like to think that I'd still be into it because even as like a kid, I loved baking and stuff. But Mm -hmm. again, another podcast to work through that. But I'll be around food like all day and not feel the need to like use it to alleviate my boredom. It's more just like part of the hobby. It's not the focus of the hobby.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so I feel like I'm useless when it comes to coping with your emotions, but I also kind of want to say if you think you're an emotional eater, if you think you're a food addict who uses it to solve your problems, just give ditching restriction a try and see if that'll still stay around. Yeah. Cuz for the longest time I thought I thought that was the key, but I just it wasn't something I actively worked towards, it just occurred when I stopped restricting. Mhm. And like this book
1: does have good resources And there are all kinds of really good resources in this space, like this intuitive eating health at every size space. So
0: definitely consult the experts and not us. And also everyone's different because like food might be a huge, or like you might be so hard on yourself with your emotions. And that can also stem from, there's so many layers of eating disorders and how food relates to emotions through that. Mm-hmm. So don't listen to us but like kind of listen to us.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I like to journal, uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, it's a nice way to walk through your emotions and you're getting in touch with your intuition too. Mm-hmm. Sponsored by journals. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move on to number eight, which is
0: respect your body, respect your body. So I think I'm going to read what they have on their website because it helped me. Yeah, go for it. My favorite step Um, because I also have an analogy that goes with this. But on their website, it says, accept your genetic blueprint. Just as a person with a shoe size of eight would not expect to realistically squeeze into a size six, it's equally futile to have a similar expectation about your body size. So mostly respect your body so you can feel better about who you are. It's hard to reject the diet mentality if you're unrealistically and overly critical of your body size or shape. All bodies deserve dignity. Boom. And my analogy here, which I don't know where I saw it, and I'm just giving credit out in the universe so that karma doesn't come at me. But it was like, you know how there are different types of dogs? Humans are the exact same way. That's true. Like, you can't expect a golden retriever to be a greyhound, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's just not how it works. You're so right. And also all dogs are adorable and that's why we should give all respect to all bodies. So true. <laughs> I think that's a great analogy. And for me, it went to like, remember when you were talking about how like buying clothes that fit you is the best thing ever? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the biggest part of respecting your body. It's just like knowing that it's a frame. It's the size frame you you kind of get just based off of bone structure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. and. Luckily now
1: with so many of these people who are doing this great activism work, like there's this woman I follow who I love. Her name's Katie Storino. she did this whole campaign called hashtag make my size, and she would go to these like big box stores and go into the fitting rooms and try stuff on. And she's like, she's in a bigger body, but not that big. And it's like stuff wasn't fitting her. And Anyway, check her
0: out. We can link her in the show notes. She's my dream guest, by the way. So, like, putting that out into the universe. Oh my gosh. Hey, Katie. <laughs>
1: Katie, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, no, she'd be great because she can explain her campaign a lot better than I can. And yeah, she was a huge inspiration for me, knowing that like stores don't always make stuff that fits normal people. Like, they're made to be mass produced. They're not made to fit every body, even some smaller bodies stuff doesn't fit right on. Like, so what I'm getting at is there are lots of people like her who are actually making their own lines of stuff that is more fitted to people of all bodies. So there's just like a lot more options now. It still takes a lot of digging, but I I feel like now more than ever, and hopefully continuing on, there'll be myriad of options for people to of all body sizes to like find clothes that they love that actually fit them.
0: Yeah. And with sustainable fashion, I get more and more hopeful every day that we're going to find a way to dress all bodies in a good way, you know?
1: Hell yeah. This one to respect your body. I wanted to talk about, there's this idea floating around that you have to love yourself. Like you have to love your body. It is required if you're part of this anti-diet culture, um, then you must love your body as it is no matter what. And I think that not enough people are saying it's okay if you're not like in love with your body as it is, as long as you, the, the key for me is to respect your body for what it does for you and to be at least neutral about it. Like I have days where I'm like, damn, I look so good. And then I have days where I'm like, Today's just a day, but I, and I have bad body days too, but I have them less and less. Like there's less times now where I'm like, oh God, I hate this part of myself. Where when I was dieting, I had that every day about many parts of myself. Mm -hmm. So for me, respecting your body doesn't have to mean loving yourself with wild abandon. It can just be not hating yourself. Yeah, totally. Does does that make any sense?
0: Totally. And I think that makes a lot more sense to people because so many people see the body quote unquote positivity movement and they're like, that's a lot, you know, but it's really just all about like body respect. And also, yeah, like you said, just acceptance of one life, one vessel and this is it. Yeah. Anything else on that one? No, I'm ready for number nine. Number nine
1: is joyful movement is what I'm going to call it. And for me, this means moving your body in a way that you actually like, that doesn't feel punishing. But for me, I think I talked about this in my interview a little,
0: mm-hmm. I was
1: trying to do HIT workouts, high intensity interval training for the longest time, because it's super popular on Instagram and all these before and after pictures and stuff. And I was like, I will be that after I will stick with this for the 12 weeks or whatever. Um, and I hated it. I just hated it. I, I don't like push-ups. I don't like, and that's not to say that I might not get more into them as I build up strength in ways that I find enjoyable right now. Mm-hmm. But for me right now, that kind of workout does not work. So I've, I love yoga. And every time I finish yoga class, I feel amazing. It's that post-yoga glow. It's because you've just laid down for 10 minutes after a hard workout. Well, actually, it's mostly because of how you've been breathing for your whole yoga session. I just learned this. Um, That long, slow, sustained nose breath actually gives you all these dopamine chemicals in your brain. Anyway, yeah, Um, we'll have to do another podcast about breath sometime. I'm learning a lot about that. But anywho, yoga always makes me feel so good. And so to me, when I read about this joyful movement, it was like a no-brainer. I was like, oh, I love yoga. Yoga is the movement that I always feel good doing. And the same thing with like walking and Pilates and like dancing, any kind of movement that I know that like brings a smile to my face, just thinking about it is is this kind of movement that they're talking about in the book. So yeah, the gist is do what you like. Don't do what you don't like.
0: Yeah. So quarantine has made this very emotional for me (laughs) Um, because I definitely... Like weightlifting is my jam. It is my love. There, I like that you can just do four sets of something. You get to rest in between. <laughs> but also there's just that general feeling of like badassery and just like the pump. I sound so gym bro right now. But it's just like what I remember this senior year of college and this I look back as a positive experience, not a negative one. But senior year of college is when I really got into my gym routine and I was at the gym in the morning And I was like, wow, the reason I love this is because it's like the one place where I can shut off my brain. It's my consistency spot. It's my home. It's my zone. Like, it really is the only place because I have a crazy wild fucked up brain, but it's like the only place where I can completely shut off. Um, So quarantine has really, really taken me for a loop because I lost my feeling of joyful movement. Like that was my joy. And I also had that history with like abusing cardio because I would, I'd still would do like 15 minutes of cardio to warm up before weightlifting, but never really more than that. I had a period right before, like right into my recovery where I was still doing like 30 minutes and that was just not my thing. So since I have that kind of aversion, as we entered quarantine, I was like, I'm not going to make myself like do those Jumping burpee at home workouts, or I'm not gonna make myself go on a run just to do it. I'm gonna try to recreate my joyful movement. It's definitely not it's like nowhere near close this to the same. Um, but I wasn't gonna force myself to do anything I didn't want to do that was like not fun movement for me just to check that box. Mm-hmm. but then, uh-huh. but then, after I think I was probably like week eight of quarantining because I'm up in New York City area um I walked outside in the morning because I go on a morning walk to like not go star crazy in my apartment and I was listening to a podcast and I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna jog and it felt so good it was so relaxing like when I used to run I had to like listen to loud pump up music because I needed something to like keep me going but I was just listening to like a podcast. I was going at whatever pace. I think I went like maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And when I was tired, I stopped and I was like, that was lovely. And that was the only time I was able to like in years since my exercise purging problem, that was the first time I was able to run. And then I did it a couple more times, but then I realized like some of the times it just didn't feel so good. So I'm, I stopped, but to me, it was wild. Not that. That sounds fantastic. It's just evergreen for me. And quarantine has really, really messed me up. But I just do think that everybody has a different movement style that works for them. Because like, I wish I could like yoga, but yoga does not like me. Yeah, for sure. It's just like, it's a a challenging workout. Yoga is hard. And I don't get that same like joy reward that a bunch of other people do from it. I don't know. Hopefully, we'll all get back to our
1: routines Someday soon. I was doing Class Pass, which I loved. It was just super fun. I like to be able to do all these different studios and I like in person stuff.
0: Yeah. I do love kickboxing and Zumba too. I think those are really fun. Yes. I know.
1: I don't know about kickboxing, but Zumba, I can get behind 100%.
0: I just treat kickboxing like a dance class. If they do something that's too intense, I'm like, no, I'm good.
1: <laughs> that
0: one was fun. Yeah.
1: Okay. We've made it to number 10 which is gentle nutrition. So, yeah, what do you think about this one, Justine? Um
0: hmm. So, if I'm being completely honest, this is something I don't think about a lot because I think I just feel like a generally healthy person. Like I get my vegetables in I was a pescatarian. I became a vegetarian for a while to like aid with my diet culture, but that's transitioned to pescatarianism, Um, just because sushi is life. But also, the idea of meat kind of freaks me out. Like, it's not my thing. I kind of feel the same way. I don't like meat. Yeah, I mean, like as a kid growing up, like meat was my jam. Like I loved it, and then. I think I'm, how many years in am I? I think I'm like seven or eight years into pescatarian slash vegetarianism. I would like go off and on, Um, but I switched to pescatarianism because I was like, vegetarianism was me restricting, whereas being pescatarian, I don't feel restricted at all. So in terms of honoring your health, like I think that definitely means just knowing what makes you feel good and energized. And once you have that, Elena, you might agree with this or not, but once you kind of like have that down pat and like know what times of day you like to eat the most and what foods like you like to eat the most, you kind of just fall into a pattern. Yeah. It's it's tricky though, because it, you can also get overwhelmed easily. Yeah. This one I feel like can
1: have a tendency to go into the diet space because it really is about um, eating nourishing foods. The women who wrote this book are both Uh, Dietitian, So it comes from this place of nourishment, but to somebody who's been on a diet forever and a day that can feel like those like scary health foods and diet foods and stuff like that. So for me with gentle nutrition, it's been more about adding things in than taking the not so nutritious things away.
0: That's really good advice.
1: Yeah. And it's been really helpful. Like I ate vegetables on diets, of course. um, But I never really ate them like I eat them now. (laughs) Like my fridge is half full of just like leafy greens. We eat a lot of cooked leafy greens. Like at breakfast, I usually have a whole thing of greens and that's just kind of like my go-to. I can throw it in stuff. Um, even on a diet, I never would have done that because I was like, oh God, greens. But now I know that they really make me feel good and they like help my body feel balanced. I mean, I still had cookies after dinner today, but I had like leafy greens at breakfast and I had a vegetarian lunch. And like it's about adding to me, not subtracting.
0: And it's also, I feel like something that you can get. I really just, I want to encourage people not to overthink this one because it's really the last step for a reason. Yes, totally. And I do think that people overthink it a bunch because we all are in the end striving for health in a way, but that can mean like a lot of different things to different people. Yeah. And this is also going into my theory of, this is like a way out there theory substantiated by literally zero evidence other than me listening to a bunch of people talk. But some people, for example, keto works really well for them and they go like preaching the keto gospel and other people, it works really poorly. And that's because I truly believe that different bodies need different like macronutrient breakdowns. And I don't want to get, again, this might be triggering for people who are still in that diety world, but I feel like I can talk about the science of it without attaching any judgment to the food because I've put the work in. But I feel like some people work really well On higher fat diets, where some people work really well on higher carb diets. And what I learned for myself individually is like the times of day that I need more calories versus the types of calories I need more. Like just my theory is that you might be in a certain groups of types of humans that eat a certain way, but there's no approach that will work for everybody that people can preach in the world Mm -hmm. of health. I got there in the end, (laughs) (laughs) but So honoring your health for me in intuitive eating really means just like wading into those waters of figuring out what works. And I think the additiveness is really good advice.
1: Yeah. And like you said before, as we've been going through each of these steps, it is totally a ladder. Like you're not meant to bop around with these. Like if you're really coming off of a restrictive diet, like I had been when I first read this book, you need to start implementing them from the beginning and like give yourself some time to let them sink in too. Cause when I first started this, I was like, Oh, okay. Intuitive eating. Great. I'm gonna not diet and I'm going to lose a bunch of weight. Like when I was first starting, I still had this desire to lose weight in my head. So it was easy to start like to see principle one of letting go of diet culture. And then read ahead in the table of contents to gentle nutrition and think, aha, that's the part
0: where you lose weight. And honoring your hunger, like those like tricky ones where you can kind of like sneak around them to make them what you want when really it's like, yeah, it's kind of, you got to start on rung one. Start on rung one
1: for sure. And I, I would highly recommend if you're listening to this and you're intrigued, like if this is your first time hearing about intuitive eating at all, I would recommend reading the book. Mm-hmm. It's a really good foundation that introduces you to a lot of the concepts in this this whole counterculture that is <laughs> intuitive eating and anti-diet life. So everybody's journey is going to be different. These principles mean different things to different people. And that's I mean that's what we found just in talking about it today.
0: And health means so many different things to different people as well. So when going on your own journey to health that could either mean mental health or physical health or both and it's kind of just whatever you want to make it to feel your best
1: yes exactly i had written some notes about this before we started and one thing i wrote was that exact thing the whole point is for you to feel mentally and physically and emotionally happy and well and however that looks for you is perfectly normal and however long it takes for you to go on that journey to wellness is perfectly normal and wonderful for you.
0: Yeah. And while you're on that journey, we will be there every step of the way with our podcasts coming out every two weeks. So two weeks from now, we will have another interview for you. But in the meantime, we hope you stay very happy. We hope you stay very healthy in whatever way that means for you. And we will talk to you in two weeks. See you then. The Body Pod is produced by Elena Dorn and Justine Dorn. Our artwork is by Elena Creative and our editing is by Justine Dorn. Our music is by Songs. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Body Pod.